0: Good morning. i want to welcome you to the Bay Area Church of Christ. It's my honor to be able to speak to you this morning. I want to share some things that God has placed on my heart. I hope that it will provide a blessing to you. I hope that you will be encouraged. I hope that you will be convicted. I hope that you will allow the word of God to work in your life in a powerful way. This morning I want to open my sermon by talking to you about something you all know and love, and that is memes, right? You saw that coming. Memes, that's what I want to talk about. How many of you know what memes are? All right. Mark, some of you are going, I don't don't know what they are. You know what memes are. Even if you don't think you know what memes are, you know. You don't look convinced. All right, how about we start talking about this a little bit. So a meme is just a way to transmit an idea from one person to another. It can be uh, a picture, a song, a poem, something familiar to start you off with something and, and help you get a different concept. a meme, just a, a, a memory device, essentially. Oftentimes, we have no idea what the original meaning of the meme was. This is important. Memes are exploitable. That means regardless of what the original intent, you can do with them whatever you want. Memes are exploitable. How about an example? Would that help? All right, let's do this. I'll start and you give me the next line. Okay? Fair enough? Roses are red, violets are blue. What's the next line? How many of you know that? A lot of you don't know. Some of you are like, well, I don't know what the next line is. We don't really care what the next line is oftentimes because we fill in our own blanks. We come up with our own clever little sayings. If you want to put it in a card or, you know, some of you husbands who are like me, who are not very romantic. This is your segue into to writing something nice into your anniversary card. But memes are exploitable. Roses are red is one of the most exploitable memes That's around. Oftentimes we think of memes as just being on the Internet, but memes have been around for a very, very long time. Another example of a meme is the song. Happy birthday. Who wrote it and whose name was originally in it? We really don't know. Most of us really don't care. What matters is that we can exploit it. We can use it for our own purpose so that when it's your birthday, I can sing the song and insert your name and I can convey my meaning. You with me so far? Memes are what we're talking about. It can be almost anything a song, a poem, a picture. But what about scripture? Can scripture be a meme? Unfortunately, yes. Sadly, yes. Way too often we take scripture out of context and we exploit it. We use it for our own purpose, regardless of the original intent, regardless of the context. We're trying to convey our own message. Scripture is not meant to be taken out of context. It's not meant to convey our own message. It's meant to convey God's message. God is not a meme. Recently, I was convicted of this very thing without meaning to. I believe I use scripture simply as a meme, simply as decoration. This morning, I encourage you, please turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. I'm going to have some of it up here, but I will not have all of it. So you're going to need your Bibles. Please turn to Joshua chapter 24. We're going to pick it up around verse 14. If I say Joshua 24, your mind is probably going where my mind often goes, and that is to Joshua 24, verse 15. The verse is, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. How many of you know that verse? How many of you maybe have that verse hanging up in your house someplace? Some form of decoration, perhaps? We had this verse on the wall, and I could see this verse where I sat to eat my meals. Every day for years, I could see this verse. And then a little bit later on, when I went to write that verse down on another wall, I completely and totally messed it up. I had it in Isaiah. It was completely and totally wrong. And I thought to myself, what am I doing? I know better than this. I know what this verse says. Where's my mind? Now, is that the end of the world? Does that mean that, you know, all is lost? No, it's not perhaps the end of the world. But it did get me thinking. How often do I take Scripture out of context? How often do we take Scripture out of context? So I want to look at this verse within the context for which it was written. We're going to be reading a lot of Scripture in Joshua 24. But before we start reading in verse 14, I want to give you a little bit of background. Joshua gathers all the people, people together at a town called Shechem. And he sits them down, essentially, and he says, let me give you a history lesson. Let me tell you about all the things that God has done for you. He reminds them of how God brought them out of Egypt, how he brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground, how he fed them in the desert with manna, how they heard the voice of God thundering from the mountain. He also reminds them of the time that they were unfaithful. And instead of taking control of the promised land, they were forced to wander the desert for 40 years. While God killed off an entire generation because of disobedience. No one over the age of 20 that left Egypt entered the promised land except for two people, Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses and Aaron disobeyed and they were not allowed to enter to the promised land. Now they've taken control of the land. They've had the battle of Jericho. They've won other battles. And so now Joshua is an old man. 110 years old, in fact. And he gets to address the people one last time. He probably knows this is the last time he will address the people. And so now we start reading in verse 14. Oh, getting ahead of myself. Joshua 14 says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt. From that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We, too, will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you. After he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes. We are witnesses, they replied. Now, then, said Joshua. Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. So let's look at this section in a bit more depth. Joshua starts out and he says. Choose. He says, choose. Look at verse 14, even though these were God's people who just inherited the promised land. They still had idols with them. They still had idols with them. Joshua tells them, throw that away. He tells them that you have to make a choice. He says, choose this day. And church, I want to tell you, you got to make a choice. You got to make a choice. Now, this wasn't even one of my main points. But when I started reading, I said, man, I can't I can't pass this over. You have to choose. These were God's people that God had led out of slavery and they still had to choose. Some of you have been going to church all your life. You've been raised attending church, but guess what? You still got to choose. Just because your parents are saved don't mean you saved. I heard a preacher say one time, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You got to have your own relationship with him. You have to choose. All right. Like I said, it wasn't even one of my main points, but I couldn't gloss over that. Let's get to verse 15. This is what I really want to focus your attention on. Joshua says, but as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Why the emphasis on his household? Joshua's seen what happens to an entire household when someone decides to disobey the Lord. In Numbers chapter 16, we read about Korah's rebellion. If you recall, Korah was a man who decided he didn't want to follow the leadership that God set up. He wanted to do his own thing. God opened up the ground and swallowed him and his entire family. Now, he warned them to separate themselves from Korah. They didn't do it. And so they received the same punishment that Korah received. Joshua also knew what happened with a man named Achan. In Joshua chapter 7, we read that Achan took some things during a war campaign that God told him to destroy. The next battle against Ai, a small little town where Israelites should have easily won, men died in that battle. Then it was discovered that Achan had sinned and his whole family was stoned as a result. Now, doesn't that seem kind of harsh to you? Come on now, be honest. Seems a little harsh. Does God destroy the righteous with the wicked? No, no, he doesn't. So if these people receive punishment from God, that tells us that they were guilty in God's sight. They were complicit in their sin. You know, you can't hide from God. And you can't protect your friends or your family members from God. When we try to cover up someone else's sin, the only thing we do is join in that sin and we join in that punishment. Now, we understand this. We understand this legally, right? So I'll give you an example. If I showed up to your door, Josh, let's say I showed up to your door and I say, man, I need a place for a little bit. And I uh, just... I just need a place to crash, man. He might think, well, Nicole probably finally got tired of him. (laughs) Maybe let me talk to Danielle. Let me see what we can do. But if I showed up and I said, hey, man, I just robbed this bank. I really need a place to lay low right now. You're going to go, no, you can't. I'm not even talking to you right now. Get away from me because you're going to bring trouble on me and my entire family. No, I'm not letting you in. We understand that. Because if we do, we would be an accessory. Now, what's an accessory? You know, sometimes when people tell you something you don't want to hear, you start acting like you don't know what it means. You start wanting some definitions. First you try and play deaf, that didn't work, then you play dumb. At least that's what I do. An accessory? Whatever do you mean? A pair of earrings? No. I looked this up on Wikipedia, and the U.S. legal system has a definition for an accessory. Listen to this. Whoever, knowing that an offense against the United States has been committed, receives, relieves, comforts, or assists the offender in order to hinder or prevent his apprehension, trial, or punishment is an accessory after the fact. Are you an accessory to someone else's sin? I want you to think about it. Are you an accessory to someone else's sin? Now, you weren't the one who actually did the thing, but are you providing comfort, relief, or some sort of attempt to protect them from God? You say, we'd never do something like that. Now, would we? No. No. Then, why are some of you condoning sexual immorality in your house? Why? I heard a story about a brother who found out that his son was being sexually active. And his conclusion was he was glad that at least he was using protection. What are you doing? I heard another story about a mom who actually bought birth control for her child. What are you doing? This is not the way God's people have been called to behave. People who know that someone is cheating on their spouse. They say nothing. People who know about dishonest business dealings, but remain silent. This is not the way God has called us to live. When you try to cover someone else's sin. You become complicit in that sin. When you tolerate sin. You participate in it. Church, this is not the way that God's people are supposed to be. God has set a standard for his people and he expects us to follow it. when these things happen in our house, when sin is condoned and when disaster strikes. And I do mean when we have the nerve to be surprised. I don't know why this is happening because you've been letting sin in your house. That's why it's happening. Should we be surprised now? Do bad things happen to good people? Yeah. Can you do everything right as a parent and things still go wrong? Yeah. Adam and Eve had a perfect father. They rebelled. That wasn't God's fault. That was their fault. So I understand these things happen, but I also understand that when you allow sin in your home, you need to expect disaster. So church. We're called to live as God's people. You know, when we say, yeah, I know God says that this is supposed to happen, but I really believe in this situation something else needs to happen. I know that God said this, but really what I want you to focus on is that you realize you're standing in the place of God. You're saying that you know better than God knows. God's too mean. He's too harsh. We need to be more gentle, more loving. No, we don't. We need to be more godly. We need to be his people. You know you don't love your family members more than God loves them. Do you know that? You don't love your kids more than God loves your kids. You don't love your relatives or your friends more than God loves them. You're not doing them any favors by not telling them the truth. His way is what's best for them. Y'all still with me? All right, let's get back to the text. Verse 16 through 18. When we read this, it sounds like the people were offended by what Joshua said. They said, far be it from us to serve other gods. We, too, will serve the Lord. You know, that sounds really good, but it was just talk. Joshua knew that it was just talk. He says, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. Why is Joshua being so harsh? They said they were going to accept it. Why isn't he accepting their statement? It's because they still had idols with them. I want you think about that. They still had idols in their possessions even after all they've seen God do. These people, God's people, they still had idols. I like this meme. Now, by the way, I understand some of you won't understand all of these, but the whole <laughs> definition of a meme is, the context is really not that important. What I'm trying to convey is that They're trying to hold on to both God and idols. And it's just embarrassing. It's just inappropriate. It's just obvious. What are you doing? So I ask you this question. Do you have any idols with you? Now, you're God's people just like they were God's people. But do you have any idols with you? Of course, they wouldn't look like statues of rings, most likely, but maybe it's a phone number or an email address that you're holding on to that you know you shouldn't have, business card, I don't know. Maybe it's a piece of information that you're using as leverage over someone. I don't know what the idol looks like. I don't know if it could be drugs. It could be alcohol. But I ask you, do you have any idols with you? If so, you need to get rid of them. Now, what if you're not worshiping something over God? Because that's what the Israelites were doing. They weren't trying to worship things instead of God, necessarily. They were just trying to bring things alongside God. That's not so bad, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's not okay. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I think chasing money is probably one of the most common idols we have. I know this is a struggle that I have and one that many other people have to deal with also. You can't have anything on the same level as God. Certainly nothing can be above him, but nothing can even be on the same level. You cannot serve two masters. You have to pick one. Joshua tell these people, you won't serve the Lord. He won't forgive your rebellion and your sins. Another translation says God's not going to put up with that. You know what? Joshua wasn't wrong. He was right. Unfortunately, people did rebel. They didn't honor the covenant that they made with God. God makes a covenant with his people and he expects us to keep it. You can't use God when you want to for your own purposes. God is not a mean. You can't exploit God. The original context makes all the difference in the world. Who he is and what he said is crucial. Let me get to my next point. Talking about covenant, when you make a covenant with God, he expects you to keep it or there's going to be consequences. You know, covenant is just another word for contract. On May 31st, 2008, I made a covenant. Nicole made a covenant when we stood here and we got married. It's a covenant. It's a legally binding contract. Now, most importantly, it's spiritually binding because you can get out of it legally. Right. But spiritually, this contract is binding. I stood here. I made oaths and I said, I'm going to love you until one of us dies. And so far, we ain't dead yet. And I'm still trying to honor that covenant. It's been almost 11 years and I'm still trying to honor that covenant. God chose Abraham and he made a covenant with him way back in Genesis chapter 15. God told Abraham that he would give him land, descendants, and that all humanity would be blessed through him. God kept this promise by giving him millions of descendants. He gave him the promised land and he delivered Jesus Christ, the Messiah, through the lineage of Abraham to save us all. He fulfilled that covenant. Now. God's established a new covenant. Remember what Jesus says in Luke, chapter 22, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. God still wants a covenant with you. He still wants to have that contract with you. God doesn't break his promises. In fact, he has kept every single one of them. He expects you to do the same. So there's good news and bad news, good news and bad news with every covenant. There's good news and bad news, even with the covenant that I made with my wife. The good news is that when I fail, she doesn't just walk out and leave me. She doesn't. She doesn't just abandon me, but she talks to me. We communicate. I get better. Hopefully she gets better. We move forward in our covenant. The better news is that although the Israelites failed, God didn't walk off and leave them either yes they were punished but however God is faithful he honored his covenant and the best news is that when you and I fail Jesus does not walk out and leave you on the contrary he loves you he forgives you and he purifies you through his blood that's the good news now what's the bad news Is there any bad news about my covenant with my wife? Yeah. There's some bad news. The bad news is that she holds me to some really high standards. Some really high standards. I'll give you an example real quick. One night we were watching TV. The show we were watching went off. She went to go get ready for bed because it was getting late. I decided I was going to sit on the couch and whipped out my cell phone. And so I'm on my phone and I'm doing something, but the TV's still going, so I hit the mute button on the TV. So I'm not paying attention to the TV. I'm like on Facebook, text messages, playing a game. I don't remember exactly what I was doing. What I do remember is that while I was down here looking on my phone, doing stuff, all of a sudden, she come back in the room, she says, what are you watching? I said, what, what? I look up on the TV screen, and it's Beyonce, just shaking and gyrating, and I'm like, um, Uh, um, See, I was on my phone, and and I hadn't um, even seen what was on this. Like, I'm innocent this time, for real. So my explanation was not convincing. She was not happy. She does not tolerate that type of nonsense in our house. She expects me to act like a Christian. Isn't that bad news? No? Y'all ain't with me, huh? Y'all always on her side. man. So that's the bad news. She expects me to honor the covenant. She expects me to act like a Christian is supposed to act. Oh, the worst news is that God didn't put up with unfaithfulness among the Israelites. He punished them for their sins. Joshua was right. The people failed and they received punishment from God. Now, here's the worst news. The worst news is that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for your sins and for mine. Way too often, we don't honor the covenant that we made with him. Way too often, we try and live life the way we want to live life, regardless of what Jesus has said. That's the worst news. Jesus died for our sins so that we can have eternal life. But too many of us wear his name but aren't being faithful to the covenant we've made. God will not tolerate lip service. Matthew chapter seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter. You know, I could keep going on and on about different scriptures that are taken out of context and maybe in another sermon at another time, we'll get into that. But for now, let me wrap this sermon up. Because I want to remind you of what my points were. First, as people who belong to the Lord, we have a responsibility to accurately and appropriately apply scripture to all circumstances. God is not a mean. His word is not meant to simply decorate your wall but to be studied and obeyed. There's nothing wrong with hanging scripture on your wall, but if you don't obey it, it doesn't do you any good. Next, we are responsible for what we allow in our homes. Sin should never be tolerated, let alone accepted, and certainly not condoned. Finally, God takes covenants very seriously. The covenant that Joshua was under, it didn't include the forgiveness of sins the way the covenant that we have does. But praise God, you and I are called to the new covenant that is established in the blood of Jesus Christ. I end with this verse. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. God is inviting each and every one of you into a covenant this morning. He wants a relationship with you that will last forever and ever. You may want to serve God. You may have tried to do it on your own, but you're not able to. You got to have the blood of Jesus Christ covering you. If the sermon has you feeling some kind of way, let's talk about it. If you feel as though you need to get right with the Lord, we have a prayer room established near the Family Life Center. Or you can come down front as we stand and sing the song of invitation.